So, uh, as I said, we are in week eight of our By Faith series. This is going super fast to me. And, um, and uh, today we're going to be uh, talking about Moses. If you've missed any of the past sermons, I'd really encourage you to check them out on our website. We have um, villagechurchaz.com. You can listen to them directly off of the website, or we also have a podcast you can check out uh, under Village Church AZ. All right. Today we're going to read two different passages, the first out of Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, or it's going to be up on the screen as well, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. Here we go. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And it's that That last verse, verse 29, that I really want to highlight today. You know, Moses is an incredible story. His whole life story is we can learn so much um, from Moses, right? But today I just want to narrow in on the story of the Red Sea and the army. And uh, and that's going to, I'm just going to read a portion of that. And that's going to be out of Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 17. And we're going to have that on the board as well. I put 18 up there. Ignore that. 17. All right. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight today for you. Uh, You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Okay, so, you know, uh, this is the Red Sea story. And, and, uh, you know, this is on the heels of the uh, Israelites being freed finally, from the uh, Egyptian captivity in Egyptian slavery, right? The 10 plagues happened just before this. And so they have left after the worst of the plagues, right? The firstborn uh, son dies and they have the Passover moment, right? So just a quick refresher there. And so they've, they've run, 
They're probably exhausted, right? They're obviously grumbling and complaining here. And uh, Moses has this moment with them where he tells them to stand firm and trust that God is who he says he is, right? It's this faith moment that he's asking of them. So today, like, my main point that we want to talk through is that we win by faith, is that we win by faith. We see victory in our lives by faith. And, and you know what? We have to accept, if, if, if we win by faith, then that also means that we have to accept God's version of what winning looks like. Amen? We have to accept his version of what winning looks like. Jesus on the cross, in that moment while he's on the cross, did that look like winning? No. And the disciples and those that followed Jesus bailed, right? Because it looked like everything was lost. It looked like nothing that Jesus had promised was going to happen. That's what they believed in that moment because they gave up too early, right? And, and, and it, was no, it should have been no surprise to them. Jesus told them what was going to happen. He, he spoke very plainly, yeah, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised three days later, guys. But they gave up because it looked like all earthly hope was lost, right? And so we had to accept today that God's version of winning doesn't look like our version of winning. It never has. You know, victory doesn't often come quickly and easily, does it? Has victory come easily in your life? No. Not often. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you hear those miracle stories of, you know, people that, you know, a battle is alleviated out of their lives. You know, I've, I've heard of people where, you know, they've prayed to stop um, smoking or something like that. And just like that, like, they don't have to, they don't even have the urge anymore. And I know many people who've tried to stop smoking, it's like, that is not how it's gone for me. You know, like, I've prayed and it's really, 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 really hard and it's not going that way for me, right? Most of the time, victory doesn't look like that. Right? It isn't just a quick, a quick instant thing for us, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. It doesn't mean that it's not available to us. It doesn't mean that it's not promised to us. Amen? That's not what that means. You know, I talked a little bit about it this morning, but like, man, I am so, I don't know if you guys have been watching it, but I'm, I'm so inspired by the Ukrainian people. Like, it is incredible the faith that they have right, the belief that they have in their country, that they're going to fight for their homeland, right, and they've only had democracy for a couple decades, guys, and they believe it's worth everything they have. They believe that that freedom that they have is worth their lives, and many of them have already given their lives, but they're fighting, and it's incredible. You know, they've given away uh, 18,000 rifles to civilians so far, and it wasn't something that was forced on the civilians. They just said, hey, we're going to have weapons for you guys if you want to come and arm yourselves. 18,000 people were given, were given away. They lined up. There's videos of them around the street, and they're interviewing some of these people and talking to them, and it's computer programmers, and it's moms, and it's, it's just people. 
It's just normal, everyday people, and they're all saying the same thing. Like, this is my duty. This is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I'm healthy. I'm able. Like, I have to fight for my country. This is wrong. And even though the, the, the odds are not in their favor, are they? The Russian army is like 10 times the size of their army. Way more technologically advanced, right? Like, it doesn't look like on, on Earth there's a whole lot of hope. Unless something intervenes, right? But I'm also so inspired by what the church is doing there. I don't know if you've heard much about the church's response, but they've, there's been missions organizations who've contacted some of the pastors that are there, and every single one of them says the same thing. No, we're staying. We're fighting for these people. We're staying. And, and pastors are taking up arms, and churches are in the subways. Like there's a, I don't know if you've seen that video, but there's, a, there's like a subway, and it's full of people, hundreds of people, and they're all singing worship songs as like bombings are happening in the city. And they're all singing. They're all worshiping God, and they're crying in their worship. You know, our version of victory in those kind of situations doesn't look like the earth, earthly version of victory sometimes. Because some of those people are going to lose their lives to this conflict. A lot of those people are probably going to lose their lives to this conflict. But thank God that Ukraine, Ukraine there is a large Christian population there. God has been moving there for a long time. And victory for a lot of people looks like heaven. That's the ultimate victory we have. We don't know what's going to happen. I know that God could miraculously intervene. He's done it for, in other wars. He has. Look at Israel, right? He's done insane things that didn't seem possible in the midst of full-scale war. But we don't know what's going to happen there. And so we pray. And so we pray. The battle belongs to God. No matter the outcome, the battle belongs to him, and the battle that they're facing belongs to God too. And so before we keep moving forward, would, would you join me, in, and can we pray for the people of Ukraine? Can we pray for the church in Ukraine? Would you join me? Father God, we thank you for victory. We thank you for hope in the midst of what feels hopeless. God, we think of the fear that so many are facing in the Ukraine right now. We think of the churches that are, that are staying, that are fighting. We think of, God, the way that you move in these scenarios. One, we're so grateful that you are with them, that you are with those believers. We ask that you would give great and supernatural wisdom and tactics and insight and protection over the Ukraine and their military, their leaders, the president, God. We ask right now that you would just make your presence known in a way that they've never thought possible, that they've never experienced before. God, we ask for a swift resolution to this conflict. We ask that we speak against war in the name of Jesus and the death that it brings and the strife and, the, and all of the, the 
brutality of what war brings, God. We speak against that in the name of Jesus, and we ask that that war would, be, would come to an end, Father. Would come to an end. God, thank you that you're with them. Continue to strengthen them. Continue to be everything that they need. We're so grateful, God, that we can come to you in that way. We pray that this would be a catalyst for so many to know you, that the masses would come to a saving knowledge of you because of this. And just as you defeated the Egyptian army and glory was brought to you, God, we pray that glory would be brought to your name in the midst of this conflict and that millions would be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus because of what you do. God, we love you and we're so grateful. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you. Thank you for, for praying with me over that. You know, winning by faith means that we have to have faith over fear. Amen? It requires faith over fear. And if we win by faith, if we know that that is something that is promised to us in Scripture, that we, we win by faith, it's by faith that we see victory. It's by faith. Well, how do we do that, right? How do we win by faith? Well, the first thing I want to talk about today is that we have got to let God direct the battle. We have to let God direct the battle. You know, and in, in this instance with the Israelites and the Egyptians, we know God is assuring the Israelites that he will fight for them. That he's going to be the one that does the fighting for them. Right? But we know that there's also other times where God asks them to do the fighting. Right? So we see two different ways that God directs battles. Sometimes he does the fighting for us in full. And there's other times he's asking us to fight, but he is with us. He is with us. He empowers us. He gives us the victory in those instances as well, right? There's many times, I mean, the Israel, like, Israel was a conquering nation. Like, they conquered so many nations in that day. You know, there's, um, there's, there's theories, uh, I don't know if, any of you who know history, maybe you've heard of the Bronze Age collapse. And there is a lot of speculation in history about what caused the Bronze Age collapse because all of these countries that were major world powers all of a sudden disappeared from history and they were not heard from again. A lot of those countries are mentioned in Scripture, are mentioned in the Old Testament, and a lot of those countries are the countries that Israel was charged with conquering by God. So historians, obviously those that don't adhere to Scripture, right? they would look at that and they go, well, we have no idea. Something happened. And they, they come up with these terms like maybe, maybe there's these sea peoples, they call them. It's the sea peoples. They don't know who these sea peoples were or what it was, but they just assume must have been a huge army from the sea that came and wiped everybody out and just left. Right? And that's their explanation for it. But we have in Scripture what happened. Like, they defeated all of the world powers. All of them. And how did they gain victory? God. God is the one 
He is the one who strengthened them. He is the one who told them what to do. He is the one who directed the battle. Sometimes he intervened himself and wiped people out. Other times he caused the army to be strengthened. And he just said things like, okay, just send 300 guys and take out that entire army. It was always going to be something where it was like it was impossible for them to do that on their own means. So we know that like, if we give control of the battle to God, right? if we got, let God direct the battle, then usually that's going to mean that it's going to require him to win. You hear me? Even if we're the ones that are called to do the fighting, it's still going to require an incredible, miraculous move from him to see victory. We know that we're letting God direct the battle if that's, if that's what's at stake, right? But what's amazing, right, either way, either way, whatever God did, Israel was assured a win, right, again, as long as they let God direct the battle. You know, battles come in all shapes and sizes for us. You know, they come in in many different forms. Oftentimes, uh, unfortunately, the battle isn't apparent, though, until it's in, like, crisis mode battle. Until we see, like, holy cow, I'm going to lose, Usually, unfortunately, that's when we start paying attention that there's a battle in our lives. Am I the only one? Right? Amen? You hear me? You agreeing with me on that one? Right? Unfortunately, too often, the battle becomes apparent when it is already way, way, way in crisis mode. You know, when I had my back issues a couple years ago, you know, that all just started with, you know, we were setting up and tearing down in there, and I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, like, hey, you need to ask for help with this. And I was like, oh, that's probably not the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm fine. And so I lifted the wall, and I felt something pop in my back, and I was like, oh, well, that was bad. You know, and, um, you know, I, my back was sore for a while, and then I had this pain in my hip. And it just felt like I had, like, bruised my hip or something like that. I walked into something, and weeks go by. And weeks go by, and the pain keeps getting worse, not better. I'm icing it. I'm doing all the things, you know. um, But it's not getting better at all, right? And, you know, the intelligent thing for me to have done in that situation would have been to, hey, it's been a couple weeks now, and this pain in my hip is not getting better. Maybe I should go see a doctor. Maybe I should go ask somebody that knows a lot more than me, right? What's going on and why this is happening, right? That would have been the intelligent thing for me to do in that moment. Did I do that? Nope. I sure didn't. And you know what happened? The pain like, got worse and worse in my hip, and then all of a sudden I got this weird pain in my calf. And it was kind of dull at first. And then it started feeling like somebody was stabbing me in the leg with a very hot poking iron. And they would stab it in and they'd dig it around. And it wouldn't stop, right? And you know what? Still didn't go to the doctor. I looked on WebMD. And I looked up YouTube videos and I did my own research because I know how to do that for myself when it comes to medical things. I have that training. And so I, I went and did a bunch of research on YouTube, which is where you go, you know, for medical advice. And, um, you know, I bought, like, 
hundreds of dollars worth of devices and things that were like, well, this will probably fix it. It sounds like I have what that guy has. And this is what worked for that guy. So I'm probably good if I just do this, right? Who knows if I, I probably was making it worse the whole time, trying all these weird things and like buying these devices that like, I, you know, who knows where these even came from and I spent whatever it took because I was in pain. But you know what I didn't do? I went, didn't go to the doctor. It was already, I was already in crisis mode. That first doctor's appointment, I was already like, like I already kind of pace, you all know that. You see me up here and I kind of sway a lot when I talk. But like when I was in pain, I would just like never stop moving. Cause like I was just trying not to like, to get my mind off of it and I do this a lot and I just kind of like be dancing, like trying not to, you know, think about it. And I remember that first doctor's appointment, they're like, oh, can you sit down? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. Why? Uh, because if I do, it's gonna feel like my leg's gonna explode. So I, uh, I need to just keep standing. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I didn't need, to, I could have gone to the doctor and sat down and been like, hey, there's a, there's a slight pain in my hip. That's what I could have done. And I could have sat down and I could have been a normal person. But instead, my stubbornness and my thinking that I could figure it out on my own elongated the battle to it lasted like, it lasted a year. And I'm still recovering. My back is still weak. I tweaked it this morning, stepping on a cord. I just went like this, and I felt it like tweak. Like, that's my life now. Now, do I have victory? Absolutely. I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I don't have what I had in that year, right? But, but, my victory, I think, would have looked a lot different if I would have responded a lot sooner to the battle. And I know, I know, like, I made it worse. I know that, I know. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I would have had to have two back surgeries if I would have responded to it sooner. But I made it worse, probably from all the weird exercises I was trying and like all the weird devices I was trying. Like, I, I know I probably made it worse. I didn't know what I was doing. I was flailing about, trying to fight a battle I knew nothing about how to win. I didn't have the understanding. I didn't know what I was doing. There's a... Uh, uh, this thing called the, I think it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. I think I'm getting that right. But it's this, um, this understanding that people believe they know a lot more than they do. And most people go into situations thinking that they have a way better handle on how to do something than they actually do. And most of the time we have zero training, but in our head it's like, I can figure that out. I can figure that out, right? But it's that effect that gets us into trouble. You know what that is? That's fear and control, guys. The what if questions that came up when my hip was hurting, the what if questions of like, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh man, I may have actually done something real bad with my back this time. But I did everything I could not to face that. So I scrambled and I fought 
on fronts that I had no business fighting on. And I fought hard and I threw a lot of money and time and anguish in areas that I had no business fighting. You know, God knew that battle was brewing. He knew it was coming. He tried to warn me of it before it even happened. And I didn't respond. In the midst of it, he was trying to tell me, Cody, hey, come on, man. You need to, you, you need to go to the doctor. <laughs> you know, like, you need, to, you need to face this. You need to stop ignoring it and trying to fix it on your own. The whole time, I know he was doing that. But I'm real good at ignoring that voice when I think I can handle it on my own. I'm really good at that. I made a choice to, to cross my fingers, hope it would go away, you know. You know, and, and I know that at the beginning of all that, too, if I would have asked God, I know he would have given me direction on what to do, right? If I would have even asked the godly people in my life what they thought I should do, they probably would have given me some pretty good, uh, good uh, ideas, right? Or, I don't know, if I would have listened to my wife, <laughs> which you don't need to tell her that I said that or anything necessarily, but, but she knows. So it's, it's not news for her, you know? Like, it might be news for you, but not to, not to her. She knows. So, so like, if, but if I would have done that, you know, I would have, I would have avoided so much. But like I said, we're really good at refusing to face the battle until we're forced to face it. Amen? Amen? We're really good at that. You know, there's battles in relationships, in finances, in addiction, and in sin. Battles in our health, and our mental wellness. And God is telling us, church, that he will fight our battles for us and with us, but we have to let him direct the fight. He'll do it but we have got to surrender command to him. The direction of the battle belongs to him, not us. We don't have his perspective. We don't have his wisdom. We cling to him. He is the source. He is the source of our healing in every area of our lives. The battle belongs to him. Too often we try to give him the orders. Amen? We try to say, God, will you do this for me? God, I'm in the midst of this battle. Will you do this? Will you do this? Will you do this? That's not the proper response. Who are we to order God around in the battle? The proper response is to say, God, what do you want me to do here? Where are you leading me in this battle? Where are you asking me to go in this battle? So I ask, church, what battle are you facing today? Are you ignoring it? Are you trying to order God around in the battle? You know, um, I went to counseling this last week, and my counselor said that he's working with a couple right now and that couple is having some marriage problems. And they told him that every time they fight, um, it's, be, it's because they've been drinking. So like, and they fight all the time. And so, you know what the counselor said? Hey, would you consider giving up drinking? 
And they said, no. No. What? No. And he's like, what am I supposed to do then? Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? But how often do we do that to God? How often do we do that exact same thing to God? God, God, would you please help me? Okay, are you willing to surrender to me and, and do it my way? Oh, I mean, couldn't you just like snap your fingers and go away? And just like, <laughs> can we just do that? Like, that'd be a lot easier, you know? That ain't how surrender works, folks, right? And that's a relationship-building moment for God. And that is by far what's most important to him. It's not the healing. It's the relationship. It's the growth in the midst of the battle, our clinging to him and our learning who he is. The healing will come. The victory will come. But it's on his terms, in his time. And the only way we'll see it, his way, is if we surrender to that way. We don't get to order God around. And you know, we often miss the severity of the battle because we're trying to contain and we're trying to control it and keep it in this little box. But God asks us to do something counterintuitive in those moments in the face of that battle. He asks us to be still. In the midst of our scrambling to try to keep it all together, he asks us something radical. Be still. And so we have to learn to be still. If we win by faith, we have to learn to be still. This is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. You know, Exodus 14 here. I'm just going to read this really quick snippet of it again. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And I want, to, I want to say that for you, right? The battle that you're fighting today, you will never see again. The enemy you're fighting today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Israelites were expert complainers and worriers. And we can look at them and we can go, man, like, that's insane that they would do that. They just got freed from Egypt. And here they are like, ugh, Moses, like, ugh, we just got freed, ugh. Like, we'd be better off with them. Why'd you make us do this, right? Like, they're complaining literally after they just got freed from slavery, from horrendous working conditions, right? From, from a pharaoh who killed their, their firstborn males, right? Like, they just got freed from that scenario, and they're complaining to Moses. Already. Already. Ugh. Moses, why? Right? They were always grumbling about their conditions, and they were constantly trying to fix things themselves. But here's Moses, and what he says, guys, you need to be still. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop letting your mind come up with all the reasons why this is a bad idea and be still. They needed to only be still. 
That's all God needed from them in that moment. Still minds and hearts. Why? Because only in the midst of a still heart and mind are we really able to receive what God has for us. Do you hear me, church? Only in our stillness will we truly be able to know God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. And being still does not mean inaction. It doesn't mean we, we sit and we twiddle our thumbs and we don't do anything, right? That's not what we're talking about here. It meant for the, Egypt, for the Israelites that they needed to knock it off <laughs> and move forward in the plan and promise God laid out for them. It, it literally, it says that, right? That next verse, the Lord will fight you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. It's like, finally, finally, you're listening. Finally, you'll give me a moment in the midst of all this grumbling and complaining. And what he says is, knock it off. <laughs> knock it off. There's this, um, there's this uh, I think it was on Mad TV or something like that back in the day, but there was a Bob Newhart sketch. Many of you probably have seen it, but it was the stop it sketch, right? And so like Bob Newhart, he's in this office and this woman comes in and he's a, he's a counselor, he's a therapist, and she walks in and she says, you know, I just uh, have some stuff that, you know, is really bothering me. And he says, well, the way that this works is um, I charge a dollar a minute and after five minutes, it's free. And she's like, oh, well, that sounds pretty great. He's like, okay. Like, well, sit down and let's begin and, uh, and tell me about it. Tell me what's going on. And she goes on to explain like she's got this irrational fear of being buried alive or something like that. And he asks, oh, well, has anybody ever buried you alive? And, and she's like, well, no. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, are you ready for my, my response? She's like, yeah. So, hey, it's just two words. Okay. Stop it. <laughs> and she's like, what? Well, what? She's like, stop it, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T, stop it. And I love that. I love that sketch. Go look it up. It's on YouTube and stuff. Bob Newhart, stop it, right? It's so hilarious. But man, is that true? You know, like so much of what goes on in our heads and the turmoil that we create for ourselves and the battles that we create and make so much worse, right? It's because we should have stopped it a long time ago. We're the ones making it worse. We're the ones whipping things into a frenzy. We're the ones inviting the enemy in when we do that, guys. We create an open door for the enemy to enter in and to prey on all those what-if questions, to prey on all those insecurities, to prey on all those what-if, those like, oh, this must be on me. This is my fault. Oh, I'll never get out of this. I'm a terrible person. I can't do this. The enemy loves that. So he gets in there and you know what he says? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, you are worthless. Yeah, you will never find freedom from that. He loves to pray on that. He loves to do that. But you know, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, we are to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We are to take every thought captive. And you know what that looks like? Being still. Being still. Stop the circus. Stop the circus going on. The spinning plates, the clowns in the con car. We gotta stop it. 
I'm talking to myself, people. I'm, I am real bad at that. I, my brain never shuts off. But man, that causes a lot, of, a lot of unneeded heartache and headache in my life. I gotta stop it. I gotta be still. We have to be still. And it's such a gift. It's such a gift that stillness is even an option. Amen? It's such a gift that we can even shut that off, that God tells us, just be still. Give that to me, and I will give you rest. Jesus is begging us to put that burden, to take it out of our brains and put it in his hands. He's begging us to do that. He died so that we could do that, guys. He gave his life so that we could unburden ourselves and give it to him. It gives him great joy to take that stuff from us. It gives him great joy to provide rest in our lives. If we want to see victory in our lives over the battles that we're facing, just to recap quickly, we have to recognize where the battle is brewing. We have to hand over control of that battle to God. And what does God say next to the Israelites? He says, stop it and move forward. Because they knew. They knew what God was asking them to do. Obey. That's what he was asking. Stop. Stop it and just obey. Move forward in what you know I'm asking you to do. I know you might hear that and you might say, yeah, well, that's easy to say, but I feel like I'm too far in this battle. Some of you might be sitting here today and I, I, you might be resonating with that. I feel like I'm too far in this battle to just simply stop it and to hand it over and to move forward in victory, right? I need you to hear that there's no such thing as too far. So many of you are living testaments of that. Amen? There is no such thing as too far for God. There is no such thing as too far gone for him. There is no level of brokenness that cannot be restored in the power of Jesus. There's no such thing. That is one of the incredible promises. That's one of the incredible promises that were given by him. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. You are not a unique case, okay? You're not a unique case. I know I'm going a little long here, guys. I'm sorry. I'm almost, I'm wrapping up. But in those moments where we feel like it's impossible, I need you to own that. It just means that the victory needs to be bigger than the battle. And the victory is always bigger than the battle in the kingdom. That's the, exactly the kind of victory that we're promised, a victory far greater than the battle that we're facing. You know, I'm over a year from my back surgery. I'm still recovering, right, like I said, but I know that I'm living in victory from the pain and the anguish and the difficulty of that battle. And I have reminders all the time of that battle. And you know what? I'm grateful for those reminders. I'm grateful for the reminders of what God has brought me through. And I think if I was just miraculously healed, 
and it never again, then I probably would never think about it again. Honestly, I'd put it behind me, but every time my back is like, ooh, like it's a reminder, man, that used to be so much worse than this. Thank God that I just have to be careful now. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Oh my goodness, you are so good. You are so good in my life. So church, be still. Stop trying to convince yourself out of the holiness God is calling you into. Stop trying to convince yourself that you can't attain it or that it's not for you or that it's impossible for you. Stop trying to convince yourself out of the holiness that God is calling you into. Be still. Accept that God's promised victory. Accept God's promised victory if only you'd let him take the reins. Accept that he has victory for you. Be still but let him take the reins in that stillness. Be still, church. Stop assuming what will happen if you come clean about hidden sin in your life. Do you hear me, church? Stop assuming you know what's going to happen if you respond to God's calling you to come clean about sin in your life. Stop assuming you know the fallout. You don't. You don't know the battle that he's fighting for you. You don't know the victory he's already trying to give you in that area of your life. Stop assuming you know the outcome. That's you trying to control the battle. We serve a bigger God than that. Stop it. Be still, church. Stop putting words in doctors' mouths you haven't even spoken to yet. Yeah? Men, right? We're not great at that. The battle belongs to the Lord. And the outcome of that battle belongs to him as well. Put the battle where it belongs, friends. Put the battle where it belongs. We're going to move into a time of communion. And if we can have uh, our ushers come forward. Um, so... Communion at uh, Village Church just looks like uh, I'm going to be doing some worship set again. And you just stand up and you can walk forward and receive the element and go take it back to your seat, okay? And I'll give you some more instructions in a moment. But as we prepare ourselves for a time of communion, church, I'm asking you to still yourself in this moment. Do you hear me? Still yourself in this moment, church. That's what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do right now. Still ourselves. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is asking you to surrender control of. He's asking something from you, I guarantee. Even if it's something you've given him control of a million times. He's asking for the reins. He died, Jesus died for the right to take the reins. He wants it. He's not afraid He's not afraid of what you're hanging on to, guys. And you know what? We take communion in order to remember what Jesus did for us and what he made possible for us. He made freedom and he made healing and he made salvation possible for us, but we have got to grasp it. We've got to choose to grasp the extended hand that he's giving us. We have to trade our life, our flesh, and our blood for his. When we take these elements, we're saying, Jesus, your body in place of mine, your power in place of mine, your blood in place of mine.
rid myself of myself. Jesus, I give you full control. And we remember what he did for us on that cross, what he made possible. We have to trade our life, our flesh, our blood for his. That's the only way to find victory. That's the only way to find peace in this life, church. We trade our way of doing things for his way. And as we prepare our hearts for this, we accept his salvation while acknowledging our desperate, absolute need for it. You hear me? We accept and remember the salvation that he gives us while we remember and acknowledge that we are desperate for it, that we are lost without that salvation. And then we also accept his purpose in the body of Christ. When we take these elements, we're accepting that we are invited into the body of Christ with a purpose, with a purpose. So today, as we take the elements, we surrender ourselves, we surrender our battles, our brokenness, we surrender our bitterness to him, and we surrender our sin, and we seek the promised forgiveness, and we move forward in life and in purpose. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to head back and do some worship, but I want you to take the elements when you're ready. I'm not going to direct you when to, when to eat or when to drink. I'm asking you to do that when you have stilled yourself and when you have responded to what the Holy Spirit is asking you to respond to. Are we okay with that? Okay. I'm going to pray, and then uh, you can stand and come forward to receive elements. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the promises that you give us that you will fight for us and the battle belongs to you. No matter what battle it is that we're facing today, no matter what impossible odds seem stacked against us, there nothing is impossible for you, God. You have made a way in your son Jesus and by his death on the cross and by his blood shed, you have made victory possible for all of us. Victory over sin and death itself. So as we take these elements, as we remember what you've done for us, Jesus, we surrender ourselves afresh and anew. We surrender every area of our lives. We hand control of our battles. And we hand control of our victories over to you as well. It all comes from you, God. And we're so grateful We're so grateful that you even give us the opportunity to do that. We love you. We love you. We choose to be still in this moment. We're here when we're listening and we're ready to respond, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.